0: and then we leave the lab and we all come in tomorrow morning and we're looking for signs of fertilization so we're looking to see if the IVF or the ICSI if the magic's worked
1: does Um, that still make you excited
0: absolutely astounds me every day and actually I still get this anxiety and this pit in my stomach and I think oh god I hope this worked
1: I'm Chris Lawson in 2015 I started my journey into the world of IVF Along the way, there was heartache, pain, wacky diets, loss of faith, and a lot of needles. It's a roller coaster ride at the best of times, and as I sat in the fertility clinic waiting room, many times, alone with my thoughts, I realized that men don't talk about fertility much. That's why I decided to start up this podcast, IVF Dad. This is my story, and it features some of the experts we mess along the way, complete with advice, support, and money-saving tips. egg collection and fertilization, hopefully. And then they say, right Mr Lawson, it's time for the egg collection. You get a call, normally a window of about 48 hours to plan it in. And your first job as a male partner, if you are using your sperm, is to stop having sex. Abstinence between one day and three days is called for before collection. In fact, trying to work through the IVF schedule, along with all the drugs, logistics, early morning starts, anticipation and checks, pretty much takes care of the abstinence anyway. So it's Saturday morning and we have to be there at 8am. We're nervous, we're we're bickering over the travel arrangements to get there on time and I'm basically getting Trish to run so we don't miss our 8am window. We arrive in a sweat and we're put in a waiting room again at the Lister. They seem pretty relaxed that we are 10 minutes late and Trish glares at me. That glare that says, will you just bloody relax? This tends to be our time, 8am on a Saturday morning. Trish can't eat or drink beforehand because this is a full operation, albeit a day one. We are in the waiting room with two other couples. It's pretty clear we are all here for the same thing. First thing you have to do is settle the bill. Bring your credit card with you, otherwise you're not going anywhere. Then you are ushered up into a private hospital room, bit like a hotel room, apart from this massive medical bed. And you're given a lunch menu. So I promised you money saving tips along the way. And if my experience is anything to go by, then they do turn a blind eye if you order a second plate of sandwiches. Just don't say it's for the husband. So there you go. And you wait. Use your procedure for anyone who'd been admitted into hospital follows. Blood tests, confirmation of date of birth, consent forms, change into a hospital gown, Trish, not me, quick intro from a doctor consultant doing the procedure today, and you wait again. And then the phone rings. Would Mr Lawson like to go down to the fertility clinic, please? I'd almost sort of forgotten about my part in this process. It's still early, and I'm waiting at a locked door, waiting for someone to collect me on a Saturday morning. And so is another man as well. Doesn't really feel like the right time to strike up a conversation, seeing we're all about to create a sperm sample, hopefully for our future children. One of the embryologists arrives and says, Oh, you're both here. That's a bit awkward, with a laugh and a smile that breaks the ice, and says, I'll take you first, Mr Lawson. So I'm ushered into a room given a sample jar and asked to check the details on it to match it up. There's a little hatch in the room and I'm told to press the buzzer and leave the sample on the windowsill once I'm done and take my time. Take my time. This is not exactly the sort of room I want to hang around in. And I have the added pressure of knowing my wife is waiting for me upstairs and that I really do need to show up today. Anyway, Mission completed. Few observations, don't worry, nothing visual. One, I was worried but really glad that they don't put you in rooms next to each other like some sort of factory hens. Number two, the quality of the porno mags in the private sector is the same as the NHS. It's still a bit 1970s. Number three, in all seriousness, is actually very respectful and sensitively done. If you have any religious issues or medical requirements, they seem to have all the bases covered. So that's me done. I've played my part. I stride manfully up the stairs, back to the room. And Trish asks me what took me so long. Just as I'm about to protest how bright lights and wipe down furniture isn't my thing, they come to take Trish away for the egg transfer. It's not a majorly risky procedure, but there are, as with everything, still risks. But it's pretty quick, it feels like I'm still messing around with the controls of the hospital bed by the time Trish is back again. I'm not really worried but I am really pleased to see her. This feels like a momentous moment, something that we both wanted and something that is a moment in time, a real marker in our lives. That first time and thankfully a lot of couples it only takes one time and it is special. Wow, it's now April 16th, six months since the fertility show and about 14 months since we first started trying. And the first round has set us back about £8,000. I whisper in her ear as she starts to come round after the anaesthetic that they've managed to get 14 eggs out. 14! Now again, every couple is different. And Trish, that's pretty high for someone in their late 30s at that point. And if you're over 40s, then the average goes down again. But some women only produce one egg or two. And sometimes, sadly, it's possible that they don't actually manage to get any out as part of the extraction. And that's why it's important to be there as a couple. At each stage, there can be life-changing news. And you need to hear it together, if at all possible. And remember, all it takes is one good sperm and one good egg. Then... You need to wait for the anaesthetic to wear off and you are discharged and you have nothing to do but wait. That was a big moment for us always. We used to take a little walk down by the Thames just to quieten our thoughts, waiting for Trish to get some energy back, the anaesthetic to wear off and quietly dream or silently fear. At that point, you are finished with one set of drugs and on to a new set. And at the same time, there is someone in the lab an embryologist extracting my best-performing sperm and injecting them straight into an egg. All you can do is trust that they know what they're doing and then the next morning you receive a phone call. For us, it was a little bit like getting through the X-factor round. They spoke to Trish. Is that Mrs Lawson? Is the embryologist here? Can you confirm your date of birth? Well, I'm pleased to tell you out of your 14 eggs 13 eggs have fertilized successfully and you're going through to the next round the next round as we are high-fiving ourselves what there's another step what the next round what the hell does that mean and i think this is an important point here this is a journey with so many momentous points but the summit is a long way off at each checkpoint you may have a little victory but it also just signals that you have to ready yourself for the next bit. And what is the next bit? Well, those fertilised embryos now, we have to wait for them to grow. We get updates over the next few days as to how they're growing, and we wait. And what are we waiting for? Well, we're waiting for them to change into the blastocyst stage. This is the optimal phase for them to be reinserted into the uterus five days after fertilization. And if they're not looking like getting to that stage, then they might put them back a day earlier. But what they really want is for them to get to the blastocyst stage. Okay, we're gonna take a break here, talk through some facts, and then I'm gonna introduce Emma, the embryologist. In the ICSI process, a tiny needle called a micropipette is used to inject a single sperm into the center of the egg. And whether it's traditional IVF or ICSI, Once that fertilisation occurs, then that fertilised egg is now called an embryo and it grows in the lab for one to five days before being transferred. And what it does is it divides and multiplies its cells over five days and it becomes what they call a blastocyst. And blastocyst's survival rate is much higher at this stage once it's transferred. And it has about 100 cells. Emma was one of a team of embryologists we talked to. You don't appreciate how absolutely vital they are in managing the whole process behind the scenes. I mean, they are the ones choosing the sperm and doing the injecting, which is what this is all about. And yet you really only speak to them on the phone or see them through the hatch on embryo transfer day. So Emma, it's great to see you. Funny thing is that I didn't really get to see you that much. All I really get to see is this little head poking out <laughs> through this hatch in the embryo transfer procedure. And and you talked to Trish mainly on the, the phone, but uh, when would we first meet you in the process?
0: There We have a video on our website, so most people see me virtually first. But in all honesty, people don't really meet the embryology team until they get to egg collection, or even like you said, until we appear through our Almost McDonald's looking hatch, um, and yeah. talk to you about embryos.
1: This is it. I was thinking a bit more Star Trek, actually.
0: Yeah,
1: than <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> of course. But the first, the first hatch that I remember is um, is on egg collection day. Anyway, so uh, because it, it's the embryologist that when you when we're upstairs and uh, and the male partner gets the call. I mean, it's the embryologist that meets us at a fertility clinic. Yeah, so we have an
0: andrologist now. So the sperm is in a completely different room for safety reasons. And yes, you will meet one of the clinical practitioners that will... Show you the lovely rooms. The lovely and rooms. Ask you to produce your sample with the hatch at the end of it. Yeah. Um, which I think all men must be absolutely petrified is going to open on the other side. It really isn't. It is. It is locked on the other side. I promise. <laughs> um, yeah. So you will meet us. You you will definitely meet us on the day of egg collection. If you don't meet us, you'll definitely talk to us. Yeah. Um, because once the eggs are in the lab and the sperms in the lab, it, it's out of the doctor's hands. It's out mm. of your hands. To a certain extent, it's out of our hands. We can only do what we can do with mm. with what we've got to work with.
1: Yeah. So so tell me me what you do at that stage then.
0: So depending on your treatment options, so you would either have been told that you've got a low sperm count. If you've got Mm -hmm. a low sperm count, we may be going down what's called the ICSI route, which is when we inject the sperm directly into the egg. If you've got a normal sperm count and everything looks okay, we would be doing general IVF, which is when we mix the sperm and eggs together. Um, We make those decisions very much on the day of egg collection. We've been given a a design from the doctors. We've been given a, a sort of a plan to follow but plans change and plans change with with what happens. So it's a very dynamic process on the day and the sperm is prepared and washed to make sure it's clean. The eggs are collected from theatre and over the course of the day, the right sperm and the right eggs are put together um, in a manner that's most suitable, considering the, the sperm count mainly. Um, and then they're put into incubators by the end of the day, and everything is done and dusted by half past four in the afternoon.
1: Wow, that's it, early finish. Brilliant.
0: <laughs> no, it's not, because we've got a lot of paperwork, but...
1: <laughs> and and the, the ICSI process, that's what ended up happening mm-hmm. for Trisha and I. So you're basically just looking at... Trying to find the top performing sperm. Yeah, so right?
0: we it's already been prepped by the andrologist. So you are removing all the non-motile sperm in the preparation process. That then gets given to the ICSI practitioner. The ICSI practitioner uses a very thick substance called PVP. And it's like glue. So you put the sperm into it to slow it down. It's very hard to see. Sperm swim fast. I think people they are they are quick. So you need to slow them down so you can assess them and and you need to be able to catch them. So. What we would do is have them under a reasonably high power anyway, um, what we call a times 40 or a 4000 lens. So we're looking for how it's moving. We're looking for the head, the midpiece, the tail. We're looking for its characteristics. And based on that, when we've got a picture of exactly what sperm sample we're dealing with, we will identify the clear, the clear winners mm-hmm. um, and we will pick them up one by one and, and use them. And the how many injection. will you pick up? Depending on how many eggs the woman's got. Right. So if the woman collects twenty eggs, of those twenty eggs, if she's got fifteen mature eggs, then we need to find fifteen sperm.
1: Babies. Right, right. So, so basically you're going fishing. You're looking, literally looking for We do the best call it one. fishing. It's really funny.
0: It's all someone come and fish this sample. I, I know I kid you not, you've actually just hit the nail. That's what we call it.
1: Brilliant. See? <laughs> that's what happens behind the scenes. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So then you fertilize the egg. Yep. Yeah. And um, so what happens then? What, what's the incubators like?
0: The incubators we use are called benchtop incubators. The idea is that it mimics the natural environment of the uterus and the fallopian tubes. You are breathing 21% oxygen. Your right. internal organs are not using that much. they use between 5 and 8%. So our incubators are based on a 5% oxygen tension right. to allow as what we call the most natural internal growth pattern you can see. Yeah, that makes sense. Um so we will literally put them to bed tonight someone will turn the lights off and say good night um I, I'm not joking they actually do I always turn the lights off and say night night and then we leave the lab and we will come in tomorrow morning and we're looking for signs of fertilization I love so that. we're looking to see if the IVF or the ICSI if the magic's worked
1: does um, that still make you excited
0: absolutely astounds me every day you you do something with some of the poorest samples you can think you've ever seen and you walk in and actually I still get this this anxiety and this pit in my stomach and i think oh god i hope this worked. Yeah. And that's i've been doing this 17 years and it still gets me in the morning i want to see if it's worked. Yeah. So to see fertilization in the morning is just it's just magic.
1: Brilliant. So what what does fertilization look like? So
0: it's the single cell it looks like an egg but inside you can see two structures and that structure tells you that the nucleus from the egg has has formed and the nucleus from the sperm has sort of dissolved out of the sperm head and has been accepted into the into the egg so you get this these two structures and they're called uh, it's called a 2PN or a pronuclei and that tells me that I've got normal fertilization and once i've separated those from the unfertilized eggs because very soon they can all start to look quite similar and they're checked daily and we grow embryos out to what's called the blastocyst stage which is day 5 or 6 of embryo development and those that grow to the day 5 day 6 blastocyst stage are definitely those that are most likely to create a pregnancy
1: sure but what I remember the first time that we went through it I think Trish got 14 eggs to start off with and then there was 13 Um, That matured. What's the difference between you know the original amount and a matured amount?
0: So when we stimulate your ovaries with the drugs, you will get varying size of follicles growing on your on your ovaries. We take you to theatre at what we consider the most optimal time, so that we don't lose the big ones, but Mm. we're also getting enough of the small ones. Mm. And it's based on that size that once you drain all those follicles out, you will get varying levels of eggs at different stages of their development process. And because of that, we drain everything in theatre. We drain everything we can see, even the tiny weenie follicles. Mm. And you will sometimes pick up an egg, but it just hasn't gone through its maturity process. Now, it means it's not genetically mature. It cannot fertilise. It cannot fertilise no matter what we do to it. So it's almost like it it is a dud egg in the fact that it, it has sort of been recruited in part of the stimulation process, but it just hasn't hasn't done what it needs to do. And that's quite normal. Um yeah. you aren't expect your body isn't meant to make 14 mature eggs. Yeah. And if we can get you to do that, then that's brilliant. But yeah. actually 13 out of 14 is pretty good going. I would say from any cohort of eggs, you would be looking at about 70 or 80% to be mature.
1: So if you're if you're a you know female of 35 versus a female of sort of 40. Mm-hmm. What, what sort of differences would we see in that, that quality of see, embryos?
0: It depends. You've got to remember that when you're, dealing, you're sat in a fertility clinic talking to an embryologist, I'm still dealing with a massively, I, I deal mainly with infertile couples. So yeah. something is going on that's not happening in their journey to allow them to conceive naturally. So depending on what that is, you may not see many differences in the actual embryo development pattern, mm. But what you will see is if you genetically test these embryos is the difference in how many are available to use at the end and how many are normal and not. Um, overall, a woman under 35 will definitely give you more eggs most of the time. And of that, they tend to have a better blastocyst formation rate. And that basically correlates with the fact that they tend to have more genetically normal eggs. As you get older, your ovarian reserve depletes. So you don't tend to create less eggs. And Therefore, you've got less opportunities to make that golden blastocyst and even less opportunities that that blastocyst is going to be genetically normal. Mm. So yes, you definitely do see a pattern that younger women do tend to do better, at, even in laboratory situations.
1: And I remember going through it and I think we got, we got five blastocysts the first time round and then we went through it the second time round. But then we only got two blastocysts. And I think for me, I'd almost just done a bit of a like a return on investment you know if you've got this amount of eggs up here then we're bound to get at least this amount and looked at it almost like a percentage of what that overall but it doesn't work like that does it? No it
0: really doesn't so actually I think people also misconceive the fact that if they stimulate themselves much harder and they get much more eggs that it's going to give them a better outcome actually it's not the reason we don't want you to get too many eggs is it can actually affect the quality of those eggs. Now I think the misconception in IVF is that just because you've got fertilization is that you will end up with an embryo and you will end up with a blastocyst. That's just not what happens. Nature's actually really, really good at quality control and nature will shut down embryos when there isn't the right information within them. I think it's a real misunderstood that when you're not conceiving a pregnancy month after month, it's because you're not getting the sperm and the egg together. Actually, you probably are. Fertilization is the easy bit. And yeah. if you've got a good sperm count and you've got eggs being produced every month, fertilization is the easy bit. Yeah. It probably is happening every month. You probably are getting an embryo floating down those fallopian tubes, but something fundamentally is shutting down and stopping that embryo being able to implant. And actually what we're doing in the laboratory is seeing that happen.
1: Work is hard at the moment, I'm in project management meetings, talking about international gaming plans and none of this matters. All I'm really doing is willing, praying, hoping that our embryos are strong and good and will make it to the next stage. I imagine they're under some lab light somewhere, hopefully doing whatever they are meant to do. Trish is ringing me to ask whether I have any news and I'm patiently reminding her that they ring her, not me or at least until they can't get hold of her and then they ring me as some sort of backup. And we know that the transfer will happen five days after the egg collection, but there are still decisions to be made and drugs to be taken and anxious moments as you wait to find out how many are good enough for that transfer. Next episode, we go through our first transfer. Not quite like Transfer Day on Sky Sports, but pretty nerve-wracking. Thank you for listening. This has been IVF Dad. I started this podcast to provide support during the lonely fertility journey and ensure others didn't suffer in silence. So please do share it with anyone it can help. Log on to IVFDad.com. I would love to hear from you and hear your stories. For future episodes, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, etc. Follow us on Insta and Twitter at IVFDadPodcast. And on the website, check out the email in the show notes. There's some great links, advice and money-saving tips. Stay healthy, stay positive and remember, it only takes one.